I want to show you something as we lead up to Deborah's singing. We'll receive the offering. And before Rick comes, just to prepare you for next week, because there's just something in my heart. I want you to go to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation and chapter 12, we're going to be in the book of Revelation a whole lot. And we know ultimately the revelation is the revelation of Jesus. It's a unfolding, a revealing of him. And, but there are many events that are going to happen as he is being revealed on the earth and revealed in the midst of his people. So anyway, this is just a five-minute brief version, and then next week we'll take off into it. But in chapter 12, we see some interesting things happen, and it looks like to me they're happening right now. There's war that breaks out in the heavens. But he, there's no room for the devil, and so he gets kicked out. That's the good part. But there's some not-so-good part, and that is he's kicked down to the earth where he has only a short time, and in verse 12, we see that he has great wrath. And it, it's because he has short time, it's like there's an accelerated, it's like he's on Operation Warp Speed right now. Have you seen that? Do you notice there's an acceleration, an intensifying of the wrath of darkness in any way that's what we're called to. It's all part of the plan. But then there's not only that, there's, uh, there's great deception. And the deceiver, he says, he deceives the whole world. My grandfather grew up during the Great Depression. You and I are growing up during, no, we're not, we're already grown. We're living during the Great Deception. This is the greatest deception, I believe, in the history of mankind. Then there's a flood of lies, flood of words. And, uh, you know, lies are today taking the place of truth. Truth are lies and lies are truth. There's a war in heaven directed against the saints. Then there's persecution and great accusations and judgments and all of these things. Now, that's real exciting, isn't it? All these things that are unfolding, I believe, in our time. And speaking of persecution, you do remember the three ways that we overcome? The blood of Jesus, the word of our testimony. And it's not a, just a profession, it's the life that we live before the world. And then third, what? We love not our life even unto death. Now, during all of this time, and next week we'll get more into it, but there are four things that are going to be, we're grateful for, that will also be happening on the earth in the midst of all that's unfolding and the wrath of the devil and such. And four, look in verse 10. Next week we'll go into it. Then I heard, a, say a loud voice. We're going to shout it loud from Moravian Falls. They may try to silence us. It ain't going to happen. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation, strength, the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ, what? Have come. They have come. You could put have come behind every one of these, but uh, just to whet our appetite, number one is salvation. That's what happened in Pakistan in that crusade that I was a part of Friday morning. It's a small little bit, but I'm telling you, a major harvest is coming. Salvation. At the same time of operation, whatever the enemy's up to, warp speed or whatever, great is his wrath. There's going to be great salvation. But it's not just being saved from our sin. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Rescued. He's going to save his people. 
as we call on him. And then the next thing is strength. The word strength means power and ability. You know, you guys heard the story, and I think back all the time, especially now, of that dream where I stood before the beast. And I remember how small I felt. And you remember, I shared, I backed up, fell down, and then it was shifted to where I was in a barber chair, and he was cutting my hair. The barber takes out a measuring tape, puts it up against my heart. And he's showing me, he said, you're groomed for this hour, but it's about your heart. And God's going to measure our hearts. This is a great test in this hour. And, uh, but anyway, I think about how weak I felt, but I'm telling you, God's going to make us strong in this hour. We're going to have strength we've never known before, and it'll be his strength in us. And I know the joy of the Lord is our strength, but it's much more than that. And then the kingdom of God has, say, have come, has come. It has come. Not just coming, it has come. And so we'll get into that next week. Because we got to focus. You know, the last great message on the earth is the message of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. And then power, the power of his Christ or the authority. I know the enemy thinks he has a lot of authority in this hour. No, he has a lot of hot air. He's blowing a lot of steam. Jesus said, behold, I give you authority to trample upon scorpions and serpents and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing... Say nothing shall by any means harm you. Amen. So next week, just whet your appetite. I know you came to hear Rick. You come back next week to hear me because I got more to say. No, no, we didn't come. We came to worship Jesus. We came to be in his presence. Come on up, Deborah. Let's pray, and then we're going to receive our offering. Deborah has a song. And then we want to welcome Rick Joyner. He's a friend. He's the one that birthed this ministry. And uh, many, many years ago, Rick, I've been here 13 years now. It's hard to believe. I don't even look that old, but I, it's amazing. <laughs> I can't figure that all out. But it's an incredible time. We've been through hell and high water. Thank God for every test. We've endured. And those that endure, there are great promises. But anyway, we'll receive our offering. Deborah will sing and Rick will come. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for giving us understanding from your word, Lord. It's your word that we hide in our hearts, and it's your word that we, we're going to run this race with endurance. We thank you, God. Greater is he. Lord, regardless of the beast system and all that we're standing against in this hour, we thank you. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in this world. And we give you all the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. So you come. We always receive our offering around the altar. And then Deborah will lead us in a song. Lord, you know everything there is to know about me. You perceive every moment of my heart and soul. And you understand my every thought before it even enters my mind. You are so intimately aware of me, Lord. You read my heart like an open book. And you know all the words I'm about to speak before I even start a sentence. You know every step I will take before my journey even begins. You've gone into my future to prepare the way, and in kindness you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. You've laid your hand on me. This is just too wonderful, deep, and incomprehensible. Your understanding of me brings me wonder and strength. Where can I go from your spirit? 
Where can I run and hide from your face? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the realm of death, you are there too. If I fly with wings into the shining dawn, you're there. If I fly into the radiant sunset, you're there waiting. Wherever I go, your hand will guide me. Your strength will empower me, and you will hold me fast.
Wherever I go, your hand will guide me. Your strength will empower me. And you will hold me fast. You're expecting me to sing? You're laughing too hard. But uh, anyway, uh, got a new book out, fresh off the press, The Second American Revolution Civil War, which you're here to be a part of. And we're going to win. Uh, but we're going to go through some tough times. No question about it. Uh, I, I do believe we're already in that war. More and more people are saying that. Uh, and I think there are ways that we can reduce the cost in both lives and property and everything else. Uh, the main way is revival. You know, but without revival in America, without another great awakening, we can get everything fixed, all the laws straightened out, government straightened out and everything else, and we will be right back in the same place pretty quick. You know, we uh, you know, uh, are dependent on the Lord. We're about to know that in a whole new way. We get to know that in a whole new way. But <clears throat> the joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, last time I was here, I shared part one. How many of you were here the last time I shared? Okay, most of you. Anyone not here the last time I shared? Okay, a, f a few of you. Uh, well, I always build in a little bit of repetition, a little bit of uh, reminder in my messages, but... The joy of the Lord is our strength, <clears throat> but it is more than that. I think David was saying when I came in about how we're going to be strong. We're going to know the strength of the Lord. Well, we need to do that now. You know, and this is not something that uh, we should wait until the emergency is here. We should be growing in the strength of the Lord every day. Now, I do not believe that that means we get weaker. A lot of people believe that. You've heard some people say, I must decrease so that he must increase. Well, they've got that backwards. That's not what John the Baptist said. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. Well, I think he said, I will decrease. But uh, that's the truth. You know, Enoch walked with God and he was not. We decrease by walking with God. And I believe the ultimate Christian maturity is to get to the place where we could say, as Paul did, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So where, you know, it's not just getting empty so that he can fill us, then we're still in control. You know, some people have more confidence in their cross than they do the cross of Christ. They've put their faith in their cross, their sacrifice, things like that. That's still us. Now, <clears throat> I don't think the Lord has to weaken us for us 
to know his strength. And you know, the Holy Spirit is not going to do everything. In the greatest revivals, he is not the one doing everything. Matter of fact, he won't do anything unless we do our part. The Holy Spirit is called the helper, not the doer. And this mentality, it can't be me. If it's any part of me, it won't be the Holy Spirit. It's totally wrong. If there's no part of us in it, he won't be in it. You know, it's a union. He came to be the helper, not the doer. There are parts we do. And uh, we need to do our part. And many people have used the other, that I can't be me, I don't want to do anything, not to do anything. And they're neutralized. But it says, for the kingdom of God, Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if we're abiding in his kingdom, we're going to know the righteousness of God, which is doing what is right in the sight of the Lord. That is going to lead to a peace that the world can't, cannot have. And listen, God's peace is not just laying in one of these nice fields out here and calm and everything. No, his peace you can know in the midst of the battle. It's not dependent on circumstances. It's in us, not in our circumstances. And we can know it in any place. And when we know his peace, we come to know his joy. But it has to be done in that order. You know, you're not going to have his peace if you're not doing what is right in the sight of the Lord. But if you're not going to have his joy unless you know his peace. But... God's people are going to get happier and happier as the days get darker and darker. And they're going to get pretty dark. We know when darkness covers the earth and deep darkness, the people, it says the glory of the Lord's going to rise and going to appear on his people. So at the very time darkness is growing, deep darkness covering the people, which we're, we're there. Yeah, that's now. Start looking for the glory. We're going to see the glory of the Lord like never before. And don't you see when it, that it is always in the darkest times when the greatest prophets arise? When the most righteous kings arise to bring the revival and all? So the darker it becomes, we shouldn't get focused on the darkness and how dark it is and how bleak it is. We start looking for the light, looking for the glory of the Lord to be revealed. You don't see the stars until the sun, you know, until it gets dark. When it gets dark, you start seeing the light. Okay? But we need to keep this keep this sequence and we need to know the joy of the Lord and we need to abide in it. Now I, I have experiences. Uh, I've had a lot of them. I've had an experience of the love of God coming upon me to the point where I could not function. Literally, I was supposed to go to the car and, and drive to the store and get some stuff at the store. I couldn't drive. I fell so in love with my steering wheel. <laughs> I could look at a post and it was like, this is the most off, 
awesome post that anyone has ever built. I would get captivated by everything. And I literally said, this is dangerous. I can't drive like this. You know, but it, the Lord was showing me something. And then I sat there and I said, okay, I'm going to do my best to get angry. And I tried to get angry. I tried to think it the thing that I knew would make me the angriest or the people that I knew <laughs> that <laughs> I couldn't get mad at them. I could not get mad at them. Okay, I've had the same kind of experience with the joy of the Lord coming on me. I couldn't function. And the Lord said, this is something you have to grow up into and learn to function. Now, I believe we need to walk in this and be able to function at the same time. But it, it's something that it takes a while to mature into. Like the priests, you know, they were ministering right in the presence of the Lord. There was a point when his glory came, they had to flee the building. They couldn't stand it. It was too much glory. But the priests are called to function right in the presence of the Lord. You know, people think we don't like having people slain in the spirit. That word went out years ago. Uh, I actually never, oh, never had a problem with that. I only wanted it to be the spirit and not the flesh, not just people trying to do something. And, uh, but even though I've done that myself, you know, everybody in the world was praying for me to get slain in spirit. Nothing was happening. So I took a courtesy dive one time thinking, Maybe it'll happen on the way down. <laughs> you know, maybe, and nothing happened. And I was angry. You know, I was, Lord, what's the matter? Is there something wrong with me? You know what he said? No, I can't let you get drunk in the spirit because you're a designated driver. <laughs> Somebody's got to stay sober in this stuff. <laughs> and the, the whole thing's going to wreck if somebody doesn't stay sober. But there is a point where I want to feel the joy in everything else. And I've been the presence of the Lord where you just want to hit your face and everything. But we have to go on functioning. We have to learn to function in the glory and presence of the Lord. The priests have to go on doing their duties and performing the divine service, as it says in Hebrews 9. So, you know, it's a matter we're in these bodies for a reason. Now, I'm looking forward to the time when we get a new one. It's going to be different, but we um, have these, for a reason, we, we have these, this glory in earthen vessels. So we need to know how to handle the glory still being an earthen vessel. So, um, but we should be experiencing the joy, even the fullness of joy. It says, in his presence is fullness of joy, Psalm 1611. And if we're abiding in his presence, there is no way you can be depressed. There's no way you can be in darkness, discouragement, things like this. It cannot exist in his presence. So to me, when these things start coming upon us, a darkness or a depression or anything, it's evidence we've drifted from his presence. So the answer is get back, seek the Lord, seek his face. Why would he tell us to seek his face and not let us 
Meet with him face to face. Why would he say that over and over? He will let us if we want it. If we pursue it, seek and you will find. Draw near to him, he will draw near to you. But to walk in the fullness of joy, uh, we've got to learn to be in this world and in the spirit at the same time. And often right now we think it's one or the other. And it even talks about, you know, if somebody's at home in the body, they're absent from the Lord. If you're at home in the spirit, you're absent. But we're made to be both. That's what the new creation is. We're literally, that should have, could have been translated a new species that is both natural and spiritual. We're all meant to be a bridge to the spirit, yet be a natural but being the bridge between the two. Now, I do think we, as we mature in Christ, we become more at home in the spirit than we do in the natural. And, uh, but it's his presence we're seeking, not just being in the spirit. You know, I was in, had one experience right here. I was in our guest house over in Moravian Falls, uh, when I got caught up into heaven for eight hours. I knew that because I laid down the bed, I looked at the clock, and immediately I was in heaven, and when this experience had ended, I was, eight hours had passed. I looked at the clock. It seemed like I'd lived a lifetime almost in the spiritual realm, but just eight hours had passed here. But it, I've had experiences of being caught up into heaven a number of times, quite a few times. Every time I was in a different place. You know, the geography in heaven is far more diverse than the geography of earth. There are many more species in heaven than there are on the earth. We're told the whole natural realm, the whole universe, this physical universe is but a shadow of the heavenly realm. It only has as much substance compared to the heavenly realm as your shadow does to you. There's way more in that realm. I've heard people say, well, you know, we're going to win this war against the devil because we are, the angels outnumber him two to one. You don't understand. Angels are only one being, one type of spiritual being. You see a number of different types in scripture, but there are many more types. I believe the devil and his fallen angels are outnumbered a gazillion to one. A gazillion, whatever. I don't know. It's just God's, you know, angels are the, the messenger spirits, and they're the ones that seem to have a best, special place in, in the bridging the heavenly and the natural realms. But they're only one species. They're the messengers. Many, many more. So... Anyway, the last time when I was caught up in heaven for eight hours, it was the best part of heaven I had experienced. And trust me, all of heaven, anything I've ever experienced like that was way beyond anything you could imagine on earth. But there are places that are still better in heaven. And this was the best of all. The best place of all. 
And I just never felt, you know, this is, oh, I want to stay here forever. This is, now, I don't know. There may be much better places than that in heaven. I, he says we can't even comprehend it. I understand that now. It's beyond what we can make up with these finite minds, even imagining what he has planned for us. But then at the end of this experience, when I'm in the best part ever, he said, now I'm going to let you experience this by yourself. And all of a sudden, I'm in the same place, and I'm there by myself. And it was like hell. It was not It was like the most dreary, uh, it, the place had not changed at all. Now he said, you know what happened. You know what makes this happen. He said, it's what you're supposed to be growing in now on the earth, which is Kenania. In the south, that's pronounced koinonia. But it, in Greece, it's Kenania. Uh, which is the primary word translated church. Uh, it's translated also fellowship. It's translated communion. But it's one of the two main words translated church. The other is ecclesia, which speaks of the government of the church, the organization of the church. The other is the actual family bonding that we have with one another. The kinonia is a bonding together so strong that you cannot exist if it is, is broken. It's the only place in scripture where we are told that many are weak and sick and a number die, a number sleep, which is to die prematurely. It's for not having this kinonia. When he talks about not discerning the body rightly, partaking of communion in an unworthy manner, that word communion is kinania. Same word. And it, it's like we do that, we partake of communion, the ritual of communion in an unworthy manner, when we think that by partaking of this ritual, we're fulfilling our obligation to actually have kinania in our life. No, we take that as a remembrance. This is what we're supposed to have. But you know, the church is supposed to be heaven on earth. When we become what we're called to believe. Now, I personally think I've only experienced true kinonia briefly in a very shallow way a few times in my whole life. I've visited different churches and movements and all, all over the world. And I think it is rare in the world that you find anywhere that there's Kenania fellowship. Okay? We have something of a fellowship, <laughs> but it's far from what it is supposed to be. When we become what we're supposed to be, trust me, the whole world's going to try to get in. The whole world, it's going, to be some, it's going to be that city set on a hill. It's going to be everything it's supposed to be, which it is not at this time. Uh, how do we get there? 
Now, one thing I think we've done, most churches are built on ecclesia first rather than kinonia. I think that's a mistake. I think it's the opposite. We should build on kinonia first and only add the ecclesia when it is necessary. That, isn't that how they did it in the book of Acts? It's like they, had, they were having their fellowship going from house to house every day and in the meeting in the temple and everything. They could not stand to be apart. When that kind of thing is happening, I've tasted that before when you cannot miss a meeting. You cannot stay away. We've had a few, we call them breakouts in Charlotte where we said, look, we're going to wear out. We can't go to every meeting. And we were doing it every night. And we were having spectacular miracles and everything. And we said, okay, let's take turns. Let's tag team. This group will oversee these days of the week. These So we won't wear ourselves out. And when our days were off, everyone in the leadership team was still there in the church. You couldn't stay away. You, we were so afraid we we're going to miss something. And that's, that's when God's presence is there, you cannot stay away. And being in the service or whatever it is, it, it's more than a service, but it's like you live for it. It's like there's nothing else you can experience in your life like church life is supposed to be. That's why we put the tables out and everything. It's going to be a link with each other. You cannot be properly joined to the body without being properly joined to the head, but you cannot be properly joined to the head without being joined to the body. Okay. And this is something that doesn't happen just out of obligation, trying to fulfill. Matter of fact, you'll drive people away. You'll have to, anything you start in the flesh has to be maintained by the flesh. Control spirit will get in, everything else. But if God is among us, you know, if he is lifted up, all men are drawn. So what we need is the Lord. That's what the temple's for. It's not for the temple. The temple is for the Lord. Now it says in 1 Chronicles 16 11, seek the Lord and his strength. Then it says, seek his face continually. Now, you know, I started this years ago, and honestly, I was doing it thinking, I'm not sure I really want to see him face to face. This is going to be terrifying. This is going to be hard. Do I really want this? My flesh is having to die just to seek his face. Now, I'd seen him face to face when I was about six months old in the Lord, right after I'd been born again. I experienced when he appeared to me, looked me eye to eye. For about a minute. And it was one of the most awesome experiences I'd ever had. After he departed, he walked over my head and through the wall. All of a sudden, this terror came upon me. I really, somebody had just downloaded me about the rapture. How Jesus is coming, and we're going to all be raptured and taken out. And immediately after he left the room... I thought he came, took one look at me and said, no way. And he went on without me. <laughs> I really thought I'd been left behind. 
in this Tarek, but it was still, I've seen God face to face. Even the next day, I literally got on the phone the next morning, called my Christian friends to be sure they were still here. I mean, you're a new Christian, you know all this. But I want to let you in on something. The real Jesus, I think, is hardly known. I think most of the body of Christ today is worshiping an unknown God, like the men of Athens. Most of us worship a God we have made. We've tried to make him into our image what we want him to be. Listen, he is God Almighty. He is love. There's no more lovable being there will ever be than God. But I would encourage you to consider our definition of love needs to be radically changed. You know, God's jealousy, when we think God is a jealous God, his jealousy is not like our God. Our jealousy, our jealousy is self-centered, selfish, possessive. His is not like that at all, but it is still jealousy. It says his ways are higher than our ways. And his jealousy is higher than our jealousy. His love is way higher than any human love. His love is also severe. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 11, Behold now the kindness and the severity of God. Consider how tough this guy was, Jesus of Nazareth, to just call the kind of people he called to be his disciples. These were the roughest, some of the roughest characters probably in Israel. Twelve Donald Trumps. I mean, they really were edgy, tough. The last people almost anybody else would choose to start a religious movement. And then think about after three and a half years of living with him, on the last night before he is crucified, these 12 tough, tough characters were still afraid to ask him a question. Remember they said, hey, John, you do it. You ask him, John, he called me Satan a few days ago. <laughs> you know, I mean, he was a intense guy. It seemed to me just to be rude to tell this poor woman who's trying to get her daughter delivered that am I supposed to give the children's bread to the dogs? I'm just saying. We get this concept of who he is, but the real almighty God as described in scripture is a consuming fire. He is a holy God. And I tell you, one of the things we really need, we need to see him. And we don't get perfected so that we can see him. We get perfected by seeing him. We're changed when we see his glory. But listen, I have never had an experience with the Lord where this doesn't die. Or stuff die or stuff gets surfaced in me. Now, I just consider, is the joy of the Lord, our concept of that, our joy? Yeah. 
Is it our definition of joy? I think, you know, human idealism is an enemy of revelation. And we get these ideals. But is it revelation? So, but we enter his gates with thanksgiving. This is how we start. Talked about how, you know, it was not pride, but a lack of gratefulness that caused the fall of Satan and the fall of man. Satan wasn't satisfied with the place God had given him. It was ungratefulness. Same with man. They would have never, Adam and Eve would have never been tempted if they had been satisfied with what God had given them. They wouldn't have been open to a concept that God was keeping something from them. And uh, so we enter his presence with thanksgiving. We enter his gates by being a thankful person. We know that. And we're told in 1 Chronicles 16, 8, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. But this giving thanks is critical. And, and we go on to say and uh, see in Psalm 7, 17, I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness. Psalm 9, 1, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, in everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Is that the way we respond at the crises that come into our life? Thank you, Lord, for this crisis. Isn't a crisis part of everything? How would our life change if we were thankful for everything? And we really practice this. One thing, by giving thanks, we enter his gates, we enter into his presence, where we know the fullness of joy, and we start to feel the joy. But when you first start giving thanks, you may not feel that at all. This may be a terrible thing that has come upon you. But I tell you, if we trust in him more than we trust in circumstances, or more than we trust in any other person, we will give thanks. If we believe his word that he's going to cause it to work for good in our life, we can't, how can we not give thanks for this new trial? And there's something of this that begins to open us to joy. I started keeping a journal. Every day I try to think of one new thing to thank him for. I've thanked him for every color there is, for every, per- <laughs> for every- I've gone through, I've now gone through the different types of grass. I'm thankful for this type of grass, this type of tree, this type. But I am, I mean, I'm just about to exhaust my own limited knowledge of things, but I'm determined. But also the trials. I, I shared with you the three days I had the, the worst trial I've ever had, worst pain I've ever felt in my life. I went through that with the resolve to be thankful every day, thankful for everything, thankful for the pain. It led to the greatest experience I've ever had, or I can't imagine ever having a greater one. And after that, I just said, that was so worth it. I would do it again. I can say, honestly, right now, I would do it again in a heartbeat. 
to see the Lord like I, I was able to see him. But it, it, was, it was not an easy, easy path. But didn't it say in Acts 14.22, through many tribulations shall we enter the kingdom of God. So in every tribulation or trial, there's a gateway to the kingdom. And if we would approach every trial that way, every, how many of you do not have any trials in your life right now? If I saw you, I was going to call you Enoch. Or, because, <laughs> you know, you wouldn't be here. <clears throat> all of us have stuff going on all the time. Don't, aren't we told to count it all joy by James? Now, when you, to count it joy means you probably have to first start off by not feeling the joy. But you count it and you resolve you're going to be thankful for this. And you will experience the, the joy. Thanksgiving opens us the gates into his presence. Then we start looking for the door, looking for the gate. Peter said that uh, the testing of our faith is more valuable than gold. So every test we should consider like we just found a bag of gold. Every new test, every new crisis, we should get excited about it if we understand from a spiritual perspective. This test is going to work eternal reward, an eternal treasure that no amount of treasure on this earth could ever match. Because if you had all the gold in the world, it's still not going to last past this life on earth. The eternal. So we start seeing from an eternal perspective. But then he says, do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, it's hard not to grieve over things that are happening in our country now. You know, we're, we've become an unbelievably sick society, profoundly dark and evil, exalting the things that God calls evil, and attacking the things that he calls good. It's not going to end up well for us if that doesn't change. And we're in a short space of time, you know, to get that done. But it's hard not to be grieved at the laws they're proposing in Congress. I mean, this, did you read what's in HR 5, the transgender? There's so many genders so many things, totally confused. Listen, the penalty for offending someone, I don't even know how you could figure out if they were one or not. But offending one can land you in prison. You know, this is, this is a deep darkness. This is what, you know, a long time ago, Islam started calling us the great Satan because of this kind of thing. They saw emerging... I, you know, I, when I had a chance to speak at this thing that had almost all the top Muslim Islamic leaders there, I, to, I got to know someone pretty well, got to talk to them. You know why they called us the great Satan? They thought, this is decades ago, we're already a homosexual nation run by homosexuality. Run by, right now, I'd have to agree with them. That's the dominant force in our culture, and it's a perversion. 
It's perverted our freedoms, our liberty, everything else in Christ. God loves the homosexuals. He wants them all saved to come to the knowledge of the truth. But look at what this has done to our country. And they looked at what was coming out in our movies and everything else, the spiritual pollution to the world. Now they've got their own pollution. They got their own, no question about that. But I can't disagree with the stuff. They thought that was Christianity. They were shocked that I was appalled by the same stuff they were. They didn't know anything. They'd never heard of evangelical Christianity. And they just thought what they see on our TV, coming through our media, coming through our movies, everything else, that's Christianity. They used Jerry Springer's show. They thought that is an example of society in America, the corruption, the perversion. Now it is. Now it is. What are we going to do about it? That couldn't happen if it weren't for us. Darkness can't grow if the light is shining. You know, light is more powerful than darkness. You open your curtains at night, darkness doesn't pour into the room. <coughs> Our light has been dim. There hasn't been much salt. Well, okay, we're in the deepest trouble we've ever been in as the church in America. Look for the greatest move of God. <laughs> but we've got to understand, we really need it. And, but it's hard not to grieve over the church. It's hard. And there are places, too, where we're called to do that. How can we do that and have the joy of the Lord be in his presence? We know he does. Yet, at the same time, we're told in Psalm 2, when it talks about how all the world leaders are going to want to sever all ties with God, he sits in the heavens and laughs. How do we keep this joy and how do we grieve? And then we're told, do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. One thing, that we cannot let grief ever become dominant. We cannot ever, ever let grief overshadow hope and vision and faith in God. But neither do we cover up the darkness. Do you know love is required for discernment? Here's the scripture for that. Paul in Philippians 1.9 says, This I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Now, <clears throat> I think most of what is called discernment today is really suspicion. A lot of it's, that suspicion is rooted in self-righteousness. Many other things. And do you know Jesus had the biggest problem of all with the conservative right. Do you realize that? The demons would bow the knee to him. It was the religious conservatives who had him crucified. We should never, I am a religious conservative, but I keep that in mind. Now there were some like Joseph of Arimathea and others who, even being that, they could see him and understand him. 
Joseph, one of the greatest demonstrations of faith in scripture, he goes and asks for the body when it looks like this whole thing is totally dead, totally defeated. He makes his commitment then. He says, I'll take the body. I'm going to honor the body because I believe what he stood for, what he preached. Even if we die following, it's worth dying following him. And he took the body. He, I don't think his apostles were not even really understand what the resurrection was about. But how many will make their commitment when it looks totally defeated? But there were <clears throat> some, but we need to keep in mind, it's not just being right, it's being righteous. And uh, I don't believe we're going to truly discern anyone or anything that we do not love. Isn't this why he told us to love our enemies? I don't think we can really discern them if we don't love them. I think if we don't really discern them, we're not going to understand why the Lord wants them saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, not just killed. Uh, so if we want real knowledge, true knowledge, we've got to have love. We want true discernment. We've got to have love. Got to be seen through those eyes. I don't think we'll ever discern or have authority with our community if we don't love it. If we're constantly criticizing it and talking about the bad and spreading the bad, but how dark and evil our community is, even though it is dark and evil. But there's something of we've got to prophesy life to the bones. And who's anybody can tell that the bones are dead, the bones are dry. That's not prophetic. What is prophetic is having the words of life that will call them to become what they're called to be and bring life back into them. Those are, are what we need. Doesn't it say in 1 Corinthians 13, love hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. It's looking at the positive, not the negative. But we're not ignorant of the negative. Who in the world could look at a valley of, full of dry bones and see an exceedingly great army? And have the words to speak to those dry bones till they become what they're called to be. I mean, it's easy to see that our church today is full of dry bones. Who's got those words that are going to call it to life? Call it to become the great army it's called to be. There's a saying, any jackass can kick a barn down, but it takes a skillful carpenter to build one. And, uh, you know, I'm, most leaders, pastors are continually under an onslaught of, you got to fix this, you got to do this, this isn't right. There's no way you can do all of it. But, uh, you know, uh, I just a few weeks ago had a visitor at our church in, in uh, Fort Mill, and she left me several pages of things we needed to fix and get right. <laughs> pages. And I could agree with them, you know. But it was like, shut this thing down till this gets fixed. 
And that prophecy went into my round file called the garbage can. But we have it all the time. People that come had nothing to do with helping to build, but think they know what needs to be done to fix it. Paul the Apostle talked about having the authority to build up and to tear down. But he only had the authority to tear down because he had been used to build it. When anyone comes in, starts just tearing up or criticizing stuff, I throw them out. Say, you don't belong here. We don't want you here. You're not a builder. You're a destroyer. Once Those who've been with us in the building who I know have been through all that it takes to get anything done, <clears throat> those you trust. Those you trust. Who are the builders? So uh, I don't even listen to people like that. Uh, they're critical people. One thing we're told in Jude, the deep darkness is reserved for them. That doesn't sound good. They're called the fault finders. And you, the last thing you ever want to be is one of them. But we have to see the faults to ever get them corrected. In ourselves, in the church, in our country, or whatever, we need to be able to see them. But if we don't see them from the perspective of loving them, our discernment and our knowledge is going to be distorted. True spiritual authority is founded on love. When Jesus saw the sheep without a shepherd, he had compassion, which is love, and he became their shepherd. When he saw the people living in darkness, he had compassion for those living in darkness, so he became their teacher. You see, all true spiritual authority is built on that. And you can see what's wrong. He saw what was wrong with all men. He saw more of what is wrong with us than we will ever see of ourselves. How did he react? He came and laid down his life for us. He didn't criticize us for not being what we're supposed to be or in. He came and died for us. He made the way for us to be empowered to become what we're called to be. So <clears throat> I just want to say that, you know, I've been around, I've been a Christian for over 50 years. <clears throat> this June, it will be 50 years, I'm sorry. Uh, I've seen a lot of church splits. You know, I've never seen a church born out of church split that ever succeeded. Not one. Then what happened with Israel when they split? Remember the 10 tribes went and said, we're going to have our own pastor. They called them kings back then, but... They never go through. I did a study. Israel never had a single righteous king. Not one. Judah had a few. Israel never had, and then they disappeared, and that's what happens to the churches that are born out of a split. It's not how you start something. Foundations are important. You start with vision. You start with vision that's imparted by God of something he wants to do. And then you follow him and do it his way. Amen. But anything born out of a negative like that's not going to last. 
Paul writes in Colossians 1, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Remember, Philippians 1.9, all knowledge comes through love. True knowledge and all discernment has to come through that love abounding. That's where true understanding is going to come. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the, thank you, of the saints in light. So, joyously giving thanks. Now, how did, you know, uh, how did the prophets do it? When it seemed like they were always criticizing, challenging. Now, one thing, a lot of new covenant prophets are trying to behave like old covenant prophets. The old covenant prophets were functioning under the law, under the covenant under which they were operating. They were behaving pretty much like the law. I'm just saying. It was still God. That whole time, the whole old covenant was a tutor to lead us to Christ, to understand. And I believe the law was righteous. What they were saying was true. But did it ever get the job done? <clears throat> Who is of Will Durant, a secular historian, said Caesar sought to change men by changing institutions. Jesus changed institutions by changing men. He started with the hearts of men working inside out. Hearts changing before behavior even some cases, but there's a way that we see in the new covenant, you have prophets who are still challenging the iniquity. You still have to do that. That's a part of the job. But do we have his spirit? Or are we operating under the spirit of the law? And, you know, I go to a lot of places where they'll tell me, this guy's prophetic. I say, how do you know that? Why do you think he's perfect? Oh, he's always challenging everything. It's like if he's got a critical spirit, he must be prophetic. <laughs> and remember, that's how John and Andrew started out. John became, I believe, the epitome of New Covenant prophetic ministry. He started out as a son of thunder, wanting to call fire down from heaven on people who just disagreed with him. But what was the end of the matter? What was the mature John like? What was his message? I'm saying this because we're entering a pretty serious war. I believe one that potential to be far worse than our first civil war. Far more devastating in every way. Far more challenging 
Sorry. How do you fight a war and love your enemy? If we don't do this, we will be corrupted. Most places, I was in the military, they teach you to hate your enemy. They think that will motivate you, and that will motivate a lot of people. You know, I think we have to have a definition of what does victory look like to us. Is it that our political positions and policies get approved and done and all the evil ones get thrown in? Is that what we're after? And, uh, but I think these are things now, by the way, the answer to all your questions are in this new book that's <laughs> now in your bookstore. It will put you on the path. We got to face these things right. I don't think we're called to kill. I think we're called to save. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal. There's going to be a lot of killing going on. We're going to be in Psalm 91. A thousand fall over here, 10,000 over here. We got to keep doing our job. But we're here to give life. Do you know the Lord is not a Republican? any of you figured that out? You know, he's not a Democrat. He's not coming to take sides. He's coming to take over. And people ask me today, is this going to be a war between the right and left? You may have seen some of the interviews. We got a lot of national media lately. But <clears throat> I say, yeah, it's going to be a war between the right and the left. But they never got to the question, who wins? They assumed, I thought the right, neither the right nor the left are going to win. There's a third column. I was shown that clearly. There's something else coming that is going to win. And it's going to be a God thing. Now, I don't know how, I don't know the details of how everything's going to work. I know many of the things we're divided about right now, those are going to all go away. Okay, I'm just saying, but <clears throat> we, uh, I think one thing by seeking his face, seeking to know him as he is, seeking to see people as he sees them, not as they are. With all the perversion and everything else, we need to see them as they're called to be, not as they are. Not as the dry bones, no life, every. Whatever else, we've got to learn to see with the Lord's eyes. We've got to hear with his ears, understand with his heart. And we're called to bring life in the midst of all this death that's about to flow. There's a river of life that's got to flow through us. Now, <clears throat> there's a lot of unanswered questions. And uh, we all only see in part, know in part, uh, I don't think anybody has the whole answer. But there's a whole lot of them in here <laughs> that can get you started. <laughs> I wrote that from a dream. You may have read some of the stuff I've written, but I think this is a better elaboration. It's getting real traction. You know, one of the reasons why we've gotten so much national attention and, and uh, the media, free advertising for this book. I'm serious. I've been this way before. I know the way the Lord does it. 
Now, those, a lot of the media coverage was not accurate, not true, exaggerated. I mean, it was really twisted and everything else. Doesn't matter to me. I know what God is up to. And uh, we're about to see a lot of things that he wants out there, getting out there. But he always starts by, you know, pride comes before fall. Humiliation comes before he lifts up something. And you just have to take all the misunderstand, the misquotes, all that. You just give thanks for everything. Everybody sees and hears with their filter. When I used a word, they heard it differently than I said it. Same with my children. They got interviewed by the New York Times. And... Um, <laughs> At least three of my kids came to me right away within a day. Dad, I didn't say that. That's not what I meant. That was, you know. I said, look, I understand how this works. We all need to learn this lesson, but that ain't going to happen. But watch what God does with this. But seriously, we've got to get ready. And there's a lot we have to do now. But I think it's the main thing that has to be done is... We've got to see the glory of the Lord. We've got to be addicted to his presence more than a junkie is for the next fix. We've got to be where we have to have an encounter with God before 10 o'clock in the morning or we'll get the shakes. You know, it just, we have got to be that addicted to God. We've got to be in pursuit of him, unrelenting pursuit. And we've got to walk in the joy to see correctly, to have our vision corrected so that we see right. You won't understand what's going on without the joy. You won't understand what's going on without the peace. And you won't understand what's going on or all of the people involved in what's going on without his love and loving them. Doesn't, seem, doesn't say you won't shoot them. <laughs> that you love. I'm just saying, this is a place where Jesus said, sell your coat and buy a sword. There's some of that involved. There's some of some that I promise you, every one that the Lord had wiped out in Scripture, he did it with great grief. He loved them, the ones he had to. Some have to for the sake of all the rest. You understand what's going on? And then there will, all, there will be a judgment day when everything is sorted out, everything is settled. And some things is beyond what we're given to understand here. But there's a lot to be sorted out now. So, Lord, I just pray for all these hungry people that gather like this to seek you and to know you. Lord, I ask for true Kenania fellowship here that comes, that can only come from being rightly joined with you and in love with you and in pursuit of you and also rightly loving your children as they deserve to be loved as your children, as you love them. We love one another. Lord, I ask you for that, the fulfillment of the law in this place, that we would love God and love one another that we're told fulfills the law. And Lord, we ask you, let us see you and let us see your glory and be changed by who you are.
not just who we want you to be or made you to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that's been helpful. That's a little bit more than what I shared last time. But I'm trying to hammer some things over and over. We've got to have his joy. We have to have it because we have to abide in his presence. That's available to every one of us. And uh, so the next time I come, you should be walking on water. (laughs) You should be... uh, There's a lot of things where we see, ah, they're really getting it. (laughs) Uh, We all need one another, and you are a part of our tribe, not just the body, but our tribe in the body. And uh, hopefully we we need, and hopefully we'll have much more interchange. But more than anything else right now, pursue him and his joy, as scary as it is, resolve, you will seek his face. Ask him to see him face to face, that you would have that kind of relationship. We're told in 2 Corinthians 3, the glory that Moses experienced, we're supposed to be experiencing more glory. He met with him face to face, and that created so much glory on him, he had to put a veil over his face. I haven't had to do that yet. I want that experience. And I believe it's going to be prevalent. Isaiah 60 says so. Thank you so much. And get all the books there in your books.